Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. We're sometimes fortnightly, but sometimes monthly. I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm joined by... It's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. Hi, Peter. How are you doing? Doing really well. It feels like maybe spring is here. <laughs> Speak for yourself. It's been so cold here. <laughs> oh, really? You know what? Yeah. I'm wearing shorts today. Can you believe that? Wow. I, wow. I may regret okay. it. It may be one of those days where it looks sunny out the out the window as I'm yeah. sitting here early in the morning with my coffee, but it turns out to be freezing once you get outside. You do one of those classic about takes before <laughs> you've even made it to your uh, garden gate. You've turned That's around. Right, yeah. I have built I built a shed the other weekend as well over the over the long weekend we had. Don't I know um, it? And yeah, I know. I, I felt I put this on Twitter, but I felt so accomplished I could have punched through a, a concrete wall. I think it's just got a real buzz off actually building it and having That's well great. having it finished anyway. That's so good. Yeah. But it's the first time we've sat really in the garden at the new place, and it's such a nice little sun trap there. It's really sheltered as well. There's like quite large hedges all around, this and your like our little garden. Yeah, yeah, you're positioned sort of directly in the sun as well, so you get the sun almost all day. And so good, so yeah, good. Even it, even when it was, I think it was the temperature reading was something like eleven degrees last weekend, and we were still sat in the garden drinking cider. <laughs> You're like, put it on me, sun rays, I can take it. <laughs> yeah, I'm smiling because that is just like our experience moving out of London and up to Yorkshire. We have a little sun trap yard with a bench and a little, like it gets the sun all day, and it feels so lovely. Yeah. And I'm sure any non urban dwellers are just rolling their eyes at the two of us who've both got a tiny amount of outdoor space (laughs) yay hey everyone top tip the outdoors is great (laughs) sun's really lovely yeah it's something i've been really looking forward to actually we just celebrated a year of being here just a couple of days ago 11th of april was when we moved and i remember the first april here last year being really nice and warm and just like eating outside and chilling outside so i'm really looking forward to that again yeah anyway from the sunny and and colorful to the gloomy and <laughs> <laughs> imperceptible what are we talking about today well it's it's a i don't know a bit of an experiment maybe mhm what we're going to this is this is a, a kind of a new series i guess that we've talked about for a long period of time and we finally bit the bullet and decided to go in and give it a spin what we're doing is a, is a deep dive on a scenario mm. just breaking mm-hmm. it down into the individual cards in that scenario much like we would do with an investigator but looking at yeah. the encounter cards as well and hopefully i don't know maybe giving people a bit of insight into how they should aim to have their decks for this scenario what what mm-hmm. what particular ways of attempting it there might be? What particular challenges it, it poses? Some those yeah. are some of the questions I think. Those questions and more are some of the ones we will attempt to answer. Ooh, ooh, so enticing! Yeah, what scenario have we picked as well? Yeah, it's a nice <laughs> That's easy also one to a question. Begin with, right? <laughs> well, there's a couple of things I want to jump on with that. You said the specific challenges, and I think the bit that got my imagination going was the idea of. I'm not that interested in just working scenario by scenario through the game and do an episode for each. We're not committing to doing that. What got us excited about this was when we were playing Scarlet Keys recently. We I, I find of... this really funny because you, you do have a list of all the investigators in the game. I know. And I know. You that. Look at these scenarios we haven't covered yet, Peter. 
<laughs> I'm not going to do that with this. Okay. I, I, I'm going to try my very best. This this is part of why I'm happy to embark on this series, that we're not committing to doing every single single scenario, because I think that would just break me. So we're go- <laughs> Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to find the scenarios that either get us exciting or that we think pose specific challenges Yeah. and maybe look at them in the context of why people might find them challenging or not why we might find them challenging you know we're not we're no way the experts here we're just saying well look let's bring our attention to these specific scenarios and look at them and i think the other thing that i really like about this idea is almost looking at the scenarios as though they're an opponent yeah we've seen ffg talk before i think maxine said before with lord of the rings like each scenario the encounter deck is trying to do something it's trying to play against you in some way and I really like the idea of like, well, let's let's see if we can find any of the characteristics of a particular scenario, and will that make a difference if I play it again? So that's what we're going to do. Yeah, yeah. You were going to mention something about the Scarlet Keys. Yeah, we played um, Sanguine Shadows. Oh yeah, which is the Buenos Aires scenario. I, I, I remember think after maybe my favourite scenario in that campaign. Certainly when we played through mm. and one of the things that happened afterwards was we we were getting really into the granular detail of ah if we'd done this would yeah. we have ended up there we almost came to loggerheads about what the right line of play was which <laughs> oh was, I think, yeah so, we did <laughs> yeah do you remember i did yeah yeah there was there was an atmosphere for a few turns i think there was yeah 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 a few actions maybe maybe not turns but yeah <laughs> <laughs> but that got us talking afterwards and I think you went on Discord and were talking to people about that scenario. Some people have said that's a really difficult scenario, especially in lower player counts. Yeah. And that got us talking again of like, well, what did we learn when we played it? What were the things that, you know, we read from what the scenario was trying to do that we then tried to play against? And I guess that's sort of, I've not expressed that very well, but it's like you can normally get a sense the scenario is trying to do something and it's like, how do you stop it? Or how do you interact with it in a way that you come out ahead of what the scenario is doing? So that's, I guess, behind this as well. It is represented visually by the act and agenda being two separate sides. The I remember teaching people the game. The game is trying to get through the agenda as quickly as possible. And you're trying to get through the act. So there's a degree that we're racing, but it's not as simple as that because it might be that the scenario has other ways of achieving its goal yeah anyway what scenario have we chosen nice and simple to start yeah yeah this is your this you picked this you forced this upon me front did i well not really (laughs) (laughs) we we, we're looking at a classic one and and we've gone everyone's favorite scenario yeah absolutely (laughs) it was i think it was top of a list of least favorite scenarios i read not too long ago yeah Yeah. uh and we've gone back to that later on yeah (laughs) we've gone just because this is the first time we're doing this, we've gone classic, we've gone back to Dumbwich Legacy, and we've gone with Undimensioned and Unseen. Maybe mm. one of the what's the what's the word? Like flagship scenarios? Yeah. What's yeah. a better word for what I'm trying to say, Frank? I don't know. Yeah, it's flagship's kind of right. Yeah. I mean it's <laughs> your it has a lot of elements that are very thematically central to the story of the Dumbwich Legacy, I think. Yeah, absolutely. It also, I suppose, has a lot of elements that controversial might be too strong a word, but have inspired a lot of discussion about the strengths <laughs> and weaknesses of Dunwich as a whole. Yeah. So I think that's also worthy of sort of consideration. 
So we're looking at Undimensioned and Unseen. Yes, Undimensioned and Unseen. We'll, we'll do a bit of a spoiler warning. We are going to talk about, we'll probably talk a bit about the story as well. Mm, and mm. we're going to talk in quite a lot of detail on all the cards in this scenario. So if that's not your, your not your jam, probably just skip this episode altogether until you've had a chance to play Undimensioned and Unseen, right? Yeah. So, so do you want to give us like a top level summary of what we're doing story wise, and then we'll start to dig into how how the scenario works mechanically, Frank? Yeah. So, in the Dunwich Legacy, we've made our way to the sleepy village of Dunwich. We've realised there's some kidnappings and some strange thing going on in Blood on the Altar, and in Undimension Unseen, we're roused from our investigations because there are rampaging beasts in the local area, and we're being summoned to try and deal with them. Is that top-level story enough? <laughs> I think that's... Yeah, yeah. It's very... It, it's, it happens in the story, doesn't it? The big invisible yeah. beast, like, tramples all over Dunwich. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very... It's a kind of sequence which lifts very directly from the source material. Unlike, I think, a lot of the rest of the, the campaign. I would say mm. this one and the next scenario both kind of take their direct inspiration from the, the source material. Maybe that's part of why it feels like a a significant or an important scenario in the campaign, because it's you think of some of the scenarios that preceded, like Miskatonic Museum and Essex County Express. They are probably closer to what would be called gimmick scenarios, or they have a specific thing that you, that happens that's different. But yeah. this is where you're getting to like you're playing the story, you're living some of the promise of the game, which is experience the stories in real time. So how do we as the investigators complete the scenario and how does the scenario not just stop us doing that, but what is the scenario trying to do to win? Well, interestingly, a lot of this, the, the grit that opposes you doesn't come from the agenda and the act cards, I would say. Only one of them has really any text on it that impacts how you play. Mm-hmm. So... The there's three agendas. We've got five, six, and seven doom, which adds up to eighteen. Yeah, eighteen doom, and they all of the agendas um, move the broods around, which are going to be the the key, the the big invisible rampaging beasts. That's <laughs> going to be the kind yeah. of key way. That's the key threat in the scenario, really, and also your goal. Yeah. Uh, the final agenda does give. Abomination enemies fight and evade, which I think is I think we discussed this earlier. It's all of the enemies yeah. that are all of the broods and all the enemies in the encounter deck, aside from the whippoorwills. Yes. Yeah. So we need to basically just just get, survive the agenda. No, nothing else is going on there. For the yeah. act, we need to first uh, spend some clues to unlock this kind of second stage, mm-hmm. and. After that, we get our esoteric formula, which is the only way of uh, defeating the broods, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it's defeat as many broods as you can before you resign. Or if you manage to defeat all the broods, then the, the, the scenario also ends. So we have to kill the broods. The broods more or less have to kill us. And it's worth noting that they are they move in this unpredictable pattern, as you've said, and they also hit for two damage and two horror in the basic version of the scenario and the the nice wrinkle i think about starting this scenario as well is it checks how well you've done in blood on the altar and that determines how many broods you're dealing with 
So if you've done really badly in Blood on the Altar, there are only going to be two set-aside copies of Brood of Yogg-Sothoth. Yeah. So you're going to start the scenario with no enemies in play. But if you've done really well in Blood on the Altar, the other end of the scale, and there's only one name sacrificed, you're going to start with one Brood at Coltsbring Glen, one Brood at Blasted Heath, and then three set-aside. So yeah. a win in that case is kill five Broods rather than kill two. I think I'm going to keep coming back to this as we go through, but it's really fascinating revisiting this scenario and thinking about maturity of design. Mm-hmm. And I think like the variance there is so great, Yeah. particularly as each brood is a VP as well, and they're the only way of getting VP in the scenario Yeah. Uh, from, the, from the scenario itself. So if you've done badly in Blood on the Altar, you can only get two VP in this scenario. But if you've done well in Blood on the Altar, you can get five. So, I mean, we have an episode in the works one day down the line about win more situations in Arkham, and this is a really good example of it. Anyway, yeah, you've talked about the Doom Clock already. Uh, My small point about an 18 Doom Clock is as we do more of these episodes, if we do more, if people like them, we'll start to be able to then compare. Ah, Undimension and Unseen has... 18 doom but this scenario has a 25 doom clock oh okay it's longer it's shorter yeah and just for very brief reference the gathering is 3710 so that's a 20 doom clock and miskatonic museum is six and then eight so that's a 14 right and i'd say that the gathering is a generous clock and i'd say Misc- not miskatonic museum sorry and midnight masks is is six then eight it's 14 yeah I'd say that Midnight Masks feels like a very rushed scenario and Gathering feels like a quite generous scenario in terms of Doom. So we've already so got like a range sits, there. sits between those two then as a sort of average yeah. length. Okay. Yeah. Just And just to, to spring a question on you, do you have any memories of feeling rushed or feeling like you have a lot of time in Undimensioned and Unseen? I don't think so. Mm. I, the, the difficulty can be getting the broods to spawn. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And then getting two at once. <laughs> you yes. wait, you wait ages for a brood to turn up, and then two, two show up at once. Yeah, that is an issue. But no, I don't think so. I think this. Yeah. Uh, my memories of this, I must admit, it's been a little while since I played it. Mm-hmm. My memories would be more it taxes in terms of your health and sanity. Well, that's exactly the same as mine. Yeah, I, yeah. I there's nothing in the encounter deck that's. Uh, adding lots of doom pressure no there is one thing on the act so there's nothing about like all oh, the clock is a bit unpredictable and i feel like one of my memories in playing the scenario is when there's not a brood around it's like we've got to use this time as efficiently as we can to prepare because yeah. when a brood comes we want to be able to really jump on it and deal with it as quickly as possible and times where it's gone wrong for me has been like yeah we're doing okay and then you maybe get hit by a bit of damage and horror which will come on to and suddenly there's a brood that hits for two and two and you really can't spend any time near it and yeah yeah it feels like one of the ways the scenario beats you is it puts you under enough uh, vitality pressure Mm -hmm. that you just can't stay near the broods for long enough to deal with them yeah which is yeah maybe as we go on with these episodes we'll start to have names for that kind of so not, is this a beatdown scenario? <laughs> it's just trying to kill you. It's not trying to do anything else. The broods themselves aren't doing anything beyond rampaging around. Yeah. So uh, what do we want to look at next? We started talking about the enemies and we've touched on the mm. broods. Should we dive into the encounter deck and see what lurks within? Yeah, yeah. The way you said dive in made me think we should maybe add a little ASMR, a little riffle sound of... Psh. 
the two of us plunging into a big stack of cards. I yeah. hope that, yeah. So, what lurks within? Well, should we do the... I love it as well. You're doing all of this from memory. Yeah. You... Yeah. Yeah. It's all up there, Frank. It's fantastic. <laughs> we Well, interestingly, we had a chat about our Arkham strengths, and mm. that... I think this is far more your a short strength. <laughs> a short chat. <laughs> there aren't many on the list. Far more your area of expertise than mine, to be honest. Oh, but th- that makes it sound like I'm doing this from memory. I've gone and sat down and <laughs> slogged through and, and looked up the stuff again. So, yeah. That's what I mean, the preparation. That's, that's, the pre- that's <laughs> it. Winging it is, uh, is more, is more Petey Popkins. Uh. <laughs> no, sh- should we start with the, the core set encounter set that's in here? Well, I'll tell you what, let, let, let me quickly read, sorry, let me quickly remember the, yep. <laughs> the treachery <laughs> cards or the encounter sets we're using. So we yep. have Undimensioned and, and Unseen, there's a handful of treacheries in the scenario. Mm-hmm. We've got the Whippoorwills, we've got Beast Thralls, and this was the first time they showed up, I think. Wow, that's a good memory. Yeah, I think you're right. Because they've been sort of lurking over us for the entire <laughs> the yeah. entire campaign so far. So yeah, we've got the the Whipples, we've got Beast Thralls, we've got Dunwich, and we've got Striking Fear. Striking Fear, mm. well familiar at this point to all Arkham players. Yeah. Let's take a quick spin through. We'll do Striking Fear first. Because mm-hmm. I think it's a relatively straightforward set. Mm-hmm. In order... Now, I don't have the number of each one in the encounter set off. The top of my Frank oh, head Frank, is, but it's is it yeah two two three is it yeah depending three, on which order you're doing that three rotting remains two, two of the frozen of fear right and two dissonant voices so rotting remains really simple willpower test feature point difficulty three feature point you fail by take a horror mm-hmm. frozen of fear gives it's an extra action to do move fight or evade the first time each turn but it stays in play until you get until you pass a difficulty three willpower test at the end of your turn mm-hmm. and we all have memories of this being stuck with us with a particular investigator ahem Roland yeah for turns at a time um sometimes you get two <laughs> you're totally shafted until you can pass that test and it's a difficult one because it's not a test someone else can take for you mm. yeah it's not yeah. action clear this it just stays there until someone comes and puts in a willpower some willpower icons to the test the mystic sort of resignedly trudges across the map and <laughs> throws in one of their thousand willpower icons. Yeah. Or you've been sake. smart and you've taken Alter Fate or something like that. No. Is it... Um, does logical reasoning work? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to mention logical reasoning in a moment because okay. there's quite a few terrors that we're, <laughs> nice. we're about to see. And then we've got Dissonant Voices, which is yep. you can't play assets or events and at the end of the round discard it, which I think is probably the mildest one. It's often frustrating it's not difficult necessarily to play around i don't think yeah i think it only matters for this particular scenario insofar as if you have any plan to be using assets or events to help you with broods but of course broods can only really be dealt with by the esoteric formula so it's not like your plan is to, I don't know, play some other weapon to deal with them. It could be that you're going to be playing an event like Waylay, which does work on broods, uh, or at least it, it's a it's a tech piece, 
and this could get shut down by dissonant voices. But I think more this is one of the ways that the scenario just slows you down in getting set up. If there's not a brood in play and you're trying to, I don't know, get your Pathfinder down or get something, even if it's just a, a fingerprint kit for getting more clues, dissonant voices at an awkward time could, could lock you down for a turn. Yeah. So theme there, we've got two willpower tests, difficulty three on trajectories, yep. and potentially... Rotting remains can be very nasty if you draw the auto mm. fail. Mm-hmm. That can be mm-hmm. if again we've got a five sanity investigator and you yeah. pull pull a minus three or more there, then that can just be instant death. Yeah. And then you're really worried about the brood hitting you as well. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, so we move on to the next one, which is Dunwich. We've got Unhallowed Country, which goes into your threat area. You cannot play ally assets and then it blanks any ally assets. And again, this is an end of your turn, test three willpower to, to discard. Again, it's a terror. Yes, yeah. Can totally whiff if you're not playing ally assets or you don't need to play ally assets. Or mm-hmm. can be absolutely crippling if that's a part of your build you're really relying on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And we've also got Sworded and Silent, which attaches to your location and gives you a horror if you're there at the end of the turn. So once again, that's a three difficulty willpower test. And also just potential direct horror. Mm-hmm. Sword and, sorry, yeah, the willpower test is on Unhound Country yeah. and Sword and Silent just goes when the agenda advances, yeah. There's two of each of those. And Sword and Silent's also a terror and also stays in play. Yeah. <laughs> so this idea of um, bringing logical reasoning as tech with the plus two willpower icons for some of these tests but also a way of discarding terrors seems really good. Next we've got the Whippoorwills which is Whippoorwill and Eager for Death. This is three and then two cards, I think. So three Whippoorwills, right, yeah. two Eager for Death. Yeah. Yeah. It's well worth having a sound effect of the Whippoorwills <laughs> ready to play when you're playing this scenario. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. great haunt, haunting noise. Yeah, Whippoorwills, it, I think anyone who's played Dumbledore's Legacy is familiar with them. They're aloof and they do a, a debuff on all of your stats by one. Mm-hmm. So they're very irritating to take down if you have to engage and then attack them because mm. uh, mm. they're effectively three fight at that point three fight aloof so it's worse than a, a cultist yeah, yeah. Uh, an acolyte sorry and we do i know what you mean by cultist yeah in the picture of what you're trying to do in Undimension unseen just when you're planning to leap on a brood and start taking it down broods have six fight so they're pretty nasty to deal with Every the last point. thing yeah, yeah. Every stat point counts, and Whippoorwills flying around is super awkward. Similarly, if there's a brood on you, and the person who's going first just wants to evade the brood, and you know, then the brood at least is not going to hit anyone that round, and then you can think about planning. If there's also a Whippoorwill there, the broods have three evade. So with a Whippoorwill, it's like a difficulty four check, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Which again is like really nasty. You know, a lot of words have been expended over how mean whippoorwills are yeah i think particularly here where you might want to be timing crucial tests to take down your target whippoorwills can really mess with that anything which deals damage to can testlessly deal damage at your location mm-hmm. so small favor or beat cop or agnes these are all really really good ways of dealing with whippoorwills mm-hmm. and it's yeah. maybe worth saving them because you can't use them on, on the broods, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
And then Eager for Death is a two difficulty willpower test, which gets more difficult for each damage on you. And then if you fail that, you take horror. Two horror, in fact. Yes. Yeah. So great two horror. Yeah. More damage and horror being dealt to your investigator off those cards. And two and horror is always a test. Yeah. It's sort of similar to Rotting Remains, this. Hmm. It's a, it's a nice it's a nice comparison with Rotten Remains. It's a slightly easier test, but it's a guaranteed two horror. It's like the sets they did in Edge of the Earth, where you've got those tests that are a flat two damage or two horror, but if you draw a frost token, you take damage or horror for that as well. Yeah. So it's like, oh, this test isn't so bad. Oh my goodness, the frost is dealing with it. Eager for death, similarly. When you're not damaged, you're like, oh great, I can just take two horror be really interesting to revisit Dunwich with In the Thick of It and see how many people get caught out by Eager for Death where they're in the thick of it oh, yeah. as, I don't know, Nathaniel Cho or something like that. They're like, yeah, for sure I can take two physical trauma and get, get three XP to start. And then Eager for Death is a willpower four test, which yeah. is really nasty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. And, and then our last encounter set. Yeah, we've got the uh, Altered Beasts. No, what's it called? Uh, Beast Thralls. Beast Thralls, that's it. We've got an avian thrall, which is hunter, prey, lowest uh, intellect. We've got five fight, four health, and three evade. But if you're using a range to fire on or a spell on the avian thrall, it gets minus three fight, which is very tasty. Takes it down mm-hmm. to two fight. And then the lupine thrall has four fight, three health, and four, uh, four evade. And that spawns away from you, hunts towards you, but also has retaliate. And then Altered Beast, which attaches... Yeah, so so it, it, it heals an Abomination mm-hmm. enemy. Both the Lupine Thrall and the Avian Thrall and all of the Broods are Abominations. So this yep. can be very difficult. Uh, very heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah. If it turns up when you've, you've nearly killed a, um, a Brood. Yeah, more than difficult. Absolute yeah. gut punch. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you heal all damage from the enemy and attach this card to it. And then when you enter the attached enemy's location or enters your location, you take a horror. Doesn't buff the enemies, which is nice because they're already pretty tricky enemies. Five mm. fight and four fight. And they're not super chunky, three health and four health, but they're just sitting in the encounter deck. How many of each is there? Is it two, two, two? two? Of each. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah, exactly. So that they can really mess with your plans, especially because the kind of positioning and timing in this scenario is really crucial. And you can have quite small windows to work in. So one turning up at your location or being at a neighbouring location can really mess with your plans in this scenario. Yeah, yeah. Overall, we see just across these cards then, Sorted and Silent deals horror, Altered Beast deals horror, Eager for Death deals horror, Rotting Remains deals horror. Nothing here that deals damage, although we're going to come on to a damage card in a minute. And... Across those cards, there are a couple of them that aren't even tests. It's just you're taking horror. I messaged you yesterday saying, do we have a name for when the encounter deck can just deal you horror testlessly? And you suggested, like, is it automatic? Like automatic horror, automatic damage? Yeah. Um, because it's not testless, obviously. It's not the same. That's for when investigators do damage or damage testlessly. But yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of striking to me that, again, this adds to this feeling of the way this scenario beats you is it puts you under so much pressure just around your sanity that you eventually, you know, you can't go to certain locations because Sorted and Silence there and they'll give you horror. You can't move in to take on a beast because it's going to horrify you and it's going to tax you even if you kill 
the brood quickly, the altered beast is going to have dealt you a horror anyway. If you then flub an eager for death, you take another bit of horror, so on and so forth. Tiny tangent here. Recording Think on Your Feet recently, there was an enemy that had a spawn ability that was any revealed location with no clues. Yeah. And I drew it twice when I was recording, and both times I spawned it on me because the calculus I did was I would rather just deal with this right now than have it hunting towards me. It did have Hunter as well. And revisiting Lupine Thrall here, I think Lupine Thrall is a somewhat awkward enemy for the reason that you don't get... If it just spawned on you, I think most of the time that would be better than it spawning far away. That yeah. that would be my take on it. Do you have a s- similar impression? Yeah, it's I like, think so, yeah. It's a bit like the thing that follows where it's not a problem until it suddenly is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's probably going to tax you at least one extra action because at some point you're going to want to move to its location to start hitting it. Yeah. Or you're going to want something like a dodge or someone who's happy to tank where it comes in and hits you. And the fact that it spawns away from you and then it also preys on the lowest agility means that you can't even, you lose sometimes that bit of control of, okay, well, I'll have it hunt onto me and then da 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 It's like, oh, no, it actually has a specific target. You don't get that same freedom of choice unless you're canny with your positioning. What it does do is it gives your fighters something to be working on as well, because the fighters probably don't have as much of a shot against the broods because it needs such a decent willpower. Mm-hmm. Unless you're playing like a, a kind of mystic or hybrid mystic fighter, that can yeah. turn their attention yeah. to passing those tests as well. I mean, Mark can can bump up his willpower, obviously. Yeah, Zoe and Leo both it's... have four willpower, so that's yeah. sort of starting to get in range but maybe not quite you're doing something with lily that allows her to pass that test as well but yeah but typically you if you're not going into this scenario with someone with a decent willpower you're going to struggle more Mm. not least because Mm. all of the treachery seem to have willpower tests on them but also you really need to be hitting those tests to get rid of the broods yeah yeah the willpower pressure is real there we've seen what will a willpower two check, a willpower three check, two willpower threes at the end of your turn. And then the other thing we haven't looked at is the encounter cards that come specifically from the scenario. So the the deck has 33 cards and 11 of them come from union uh, union and disillusion, from undimension and unseen. So a third of, uh, it it contributes a third to the deck. Yeah. Which I, it's funny, I sometimes think of scenarios as not actually contributing that many, but yeah, a third is... Undimension Unseen. Yeah, let's take a look at them. Okay, first of all, we've got Towering Beasts, which attaches to... Four a copies of, of this. Oh, God, it's, this, this is brutal, because it's not limit... Sorry, I'll read out what it does first. <laughs> yeah. It attaches to a Brood of Yogg-Sothoth. If the Brood is at your location, it deals a damage to you. More importantly, it gives plus one fight and plus one health to the Brood. Mm-hmm. That is very, very difficult, because you've not only made its fight difficulty seven but you need to pass another difficulty seven test in order to defeat it yeah so it's a really brutal card this it doesn't have any subtypes so it's harder to avoid Mm -hmm. yeah this is potentially a kind of ward of protection worthy treachery yes and because it has peril if you're running ward of protection two and hoping to protect a friend from it you can't because it has peril so yeah it's really designed at just being a real nuisance uh, then we've got Ruin and Destruction, which is the cover art. Always makes mm-hmm. me think of Sam Fisher, this. 
because the protagonist of the Splinter Cell series of games. He's got that like oh, because of the green dots. Yeah, yeah, he's got that that night vision mask with a load of green green scopes on it. What this does is, yeah, you you need to test three agility if you're at the same location as a brood of Yogg-Soth off, and if at each point you fail by, you take a damage. Mm-hmm. So very much like Rotten Remains, this is some real damage pressure, unlike the horror pressure we've seen elsewhere in the set. It's one of only two agility tests that get forced on us. So this one's in the encounter deck and there's one on the back of Agenda 2 that's an agility 4 test. And both times it's get hit for failing it. Then we've got attracting attention, which surges, but also moves each Breed of Yogg-Sothoth in play uh, towards you, which can be fine. Like you need to defeat these enemies to win the scenario Mm -hmm. and you need to be at their location to defeat them. Uh, mm-hmm. But depending on your timing, as discussed, this can be this can be tricky. Yeah, I've absolutely have this be a helpful card of like, okay, great, that saves us an action because we were going to move on that brood and attack it this turn, and now it's here. But also, it can make if you're already feeling a bit swamped, you can suddenly be if you're dealing with one brood on. and then another yeah. brood turns up. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, well, I was going to spend my whole turn killing this brood, but then I'm taking hits from this other brood or. And then finally, we've got the Creature's Tracks, which uh, forces you to take two horror or spawn a set-aside brood at a random location. Now, there isn't enough ways for all five broods to come into play purely on the Act and Gender cards. Mm. So you do need to draw this card in order to get all of the broods out in play. You can often yes, be sitting around right. yeah. waiting for the creature's tracks. You say, oh, we just need the brood now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That And that only matters if there are two or one names listed under sacrifice to Yogg-Sothoth. So if you've done badly and four people or three people have been sacrificed, there are only two set-aside broods. Yeah. So they will spawn naturally by Agenda 1B and then Agenda 2B. But yeah, if you've done any better than that, there are going to be three set-asides. So if you want to kill them all, you're going to have to get them to come out. Yes. This is something that maybe we can reflect on if we do more of these episodes. But just looking at those 11 cards from Undimensioned Unseen, I see that two have Peril and two have Surge. And when we think about the scenario as a player, like it's, it's interesting to me that the Peril cards are like, these are effects that we would really like to fire. Mm. So Towering Beasts and the Creature's Tracks. And then also ruin and destruction and attracting tension. It's like, these are effects we want to fire, but we also, it's almost like they're fast. Get another go if they don't do anything. Or with attracting attention, you get a move, but that might not have caused the player's problems. So you get to force that player to draw another card. And it's it's interesting to me that the surge and the peril is located on the scenario-specific cards rather than on any of the encounter cards that we've we bring in to make the encounter deck. I mean, I'm not, I don't think I'm making a, a hugely important point here, but it'll be quite interesting to keep an eye on that in future. Where do we find Peril and Surge? And is it located on the cards that are specific to like what that scenario is doing? Yeah. That's the encounter deck. Any thematic things that it's trying to do that makes sense there? Yeah. So whittling down your sanity pool, Taxing you on your willpower icons, so yep. it's hard to use them against the broods, and yeah. disrupting your plans for tackling the broods, either by buffing mm. the broods or by moving them around. 
that see, would seem to me to be the, the kind of themes behind the encounter deck here. It's striking as well that only 12 of the 33 cards in the deck have tests on them. Yeah. So when you get given a test, as you say, it's probably a willpower test. Yeah. There's only three cards that aren't willpower tests. But more than that, it's just stuff that is happening that you almost don't have a chance to avoid. You can't you can't test your way free of it. Yeah. Um, like, oh, that was going to be a bad card, but I've passed. It's yeah. like Frozen in Fear, you're losing an action. Altered Beasts, you're taking a horror. Towering Beasts, the enemy's got bigger. There's no way of avoiding this by just being a very defensive sort of mythos-handling investigator. That's right, yeah. speaking. But and And, yeah, so you need some of... If you're able to soap a large amount of horror, it yeah. absorbs some of the effect of the deck. And also, if you're able to kind of natively pass those willpower checks, you're able to avoid mm. some of the worst the worst mm. aspects mm. as well. But it, it really messes with your ability to nail down the broods, be at yeah. their location. Like, Sorted and Silent seems like an innocuous card. Oh, well, I just won't go to that location. But if that's the location where you need the brood, then mm. you're going to mm. have to take that horror if you want to get rid of it. And as yeah. I say, you don't have very big windows to deal with those broods. Because mm-hmm. they're big and they're nasty. Yeah. Should we should mm-hmm. we read the brood card? Please, yeah. Did you have anything else you wanted to add about the encounter deck? No, you've you've said everything I wanted to say. It's Amazing. Spot on. So Brood of the Ogsothoth is a monster and abomination trait. Does not have the elite trait, which leads to some interesting interactions, and I believe mm-hmm. that was patched was that patched in the Return so to Undimension. In return to which we're not going to go into in more detail, there's just two changes in Return to Undimension Unseen. Instead mm-hmm. of all five broods being the same, there are yeah. four other broods. So you get a range of five, and they are... It's maybe my favourite thing in Return to Dunwich, the five different broods. I love yeah. them. It's like but then Yeah, <laughs> got to collect them all. There's one treachery that you shuffle in two copies of, which is Imperceptible Creature... It has Surge, and it says Revelation attached to a brood of Yogg-Sothoth enemy in play without a copy. Remove one clue from that enemy, and the attached enemy gains Elite. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, And the art is of a kind of invisible tentacle beast. So (laughs) the imperceptible creature comes in. Again, it's scenario-specific treachery with Surge. So it's like, yeah, um, this is going to do a thing, and also you're going to draw another card. And yeah, it it makes it harder to deal with that brood. And if you're avoiding worrying about putting clues on broods because you're doing something like recurring waylay and waylaying broods, that just gets shut down as well. So yeah, Monster Abomination, it has six fight, one health, and three evade, and it's massive. Brood of Yogg-Sothoth gets plus one health and cannot be damaged, sorry, plus one eye health, mm. and cannot be damaged or attacked except using the ability on Esoteric Formula. And it does two damage and two horror, and it is a veep as well. Then... Esoteric formula, which I will read just quickly, gives you is a spell, so it can be used on the avian thralls. Gives you an action fight. This attack uses willpower instead of combat. You get plus two willpower for this attack for each clue on the attacked enemy. Use this ability only on an abomination enemy. So if you have a way of adding clues to abominations, each clue is a plus two. Again, I think like sort of young game the fact that it doesn't let you choose that it forces you to use willpower i feel like if this was designed now it would be you may use willpower instead of combat for this attack yeah 
and that would at least open up who could be using the esoteric formula. Maybe thematically it makes sense. You're forced at, because it's a spell to to use your willpower. But yeah, unless you have really ungodly stats, this is n- not going to help you too much in dealing with the broods. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's going to kind of hamper you. <laughs> well, to an extent, yeah. yeah but but you you really need the some clues on the enemy to make to give you a, a reasonable shot of killing these. Also worth noting, you don't start the scenario with these in play. The act deck, there's two cards, and the first is spending two eye clues at the Waitley Ruins, and that will then get you Esoteric Formula. So if you're playing where there are already multiple broods in play, just to add another wrinkle to what you're trying to do, you're trying to collect enough clues and get to the Waitley Ruins to then get Esoteric Formula and start be dealing with the broods. It's not as simple as, right, I've started with the esoteric formula, off I go, I'm going to kill everything that's in play. And I think that's another way that the scenario bogs you down. It's interesting because yeah. there are um, <laughs> there is Devil's Hopyard where creatures get stuck in, in mud and it, you can sometimes feel a bit stuck where it's like, I need clues to get the esoteric formula and I need clues to put on the broods to use the esoteric formula, but at the moment all I'm doing is just running for my life because they're blocking the way to the Waitley Ruins and I can't get in there and so on and so forth. Funnily enough, I think when you were reading out the broods, I wonder if there's a bit of... I wonder if there's a sweet spot in terms of player count for playing this scenario, depending on your party composition. Because while the broods have just two health at solo or just three health in two player, Mm -hmm. it feels somewhat more manageable. Certainly in solo, if you can do a turn where you move in and attack twice with an esoteric formula, you can kill a brood like that. Yeah, or a brood moves on to you and then you attack it three times. Exactly. Whereas in three or four player, because you're looking to deal four or five damage, if you have a dedicated high willpower character, they probably don't have the actions to do that. So then you get stuck in this situation of like, okay, am I doing that over a couple of turns and someone else is evading it? Or what are the other people doing? Yeah, I think it's curious in that in that regard. The broods, I think, are much more intimidating in higher player counts because you probably never need everyone teaming up to wail on them, although they might have enough icons to commit and so on and so forth. But yeah, my, ex- my experience in solo on Think On Your Feet, the first time through I played as Seth, <laughs> for willpower. Second time through for Return to Dunwich, I played as Diana Stanley. And it's yeah. like, what do they have in common? They both have good willpower. Feels like a, a must-have for this scenario. Putting clues on the broods. We're not yes. going to read every location. No. But I'll give you some highlights so there's the map is six locations but there are two copies of each location and you pick each one at random so you get the same six locations but randomized and what was fascinating looking through all of the locations which i knew already but not every location has an ability to place clues on abominations yeah and they there's lots of different varieties of them so for instance one version of dunwich village as a free trigger allows an investigator at Dunwich Village to place a clue on an abomination enemy in play, so anywhere, which is pretty good. And then there's, for instance, it's, yeah, Devil's Hopyard. There's one version, which is each investigator there can place one of his or her clues on an abomination enemy in Devil's Hopyard. So in four-player, if all of you were there and you all had a clue, you could put four clues on one abomination. Yeah. The other version of the Hopyard is one investigator gets to place two clues. So they're, they're not very even. 
No, and it's weird that it's it's on half of the inc- so. I think I don't think there's maybe there's maybe one example where both versions of a of a location allows you put allows you to put clues. Yeah. On a brood, so I haven't done the maths six. So it's two to the six, is it? Where you you don't get any. Well, sorry, a half, one over two to the six. I don't know. I'm not going to get into the maths too much. But but yeah. you, you could end up in a situation where you have very few ways yeah. of getting clues onto the broods if you don't have the powder. Yeah. And that can make the scenario very difficult. On the other hand, you could have lots of ways that would make the scenario much more straightforward. Yes. If you have saved any of the original three characters from the start of Dunwich, so Armitage, Rice, or Morgan, if at least one of them is saved, one of you gets the powder of Ibn Ghazi. Yes. And the powder is just another way of adding clues to broods. Get a clue for each character who sur- survived the Dunwich legacy. Right. Yeah. So that's the opposite of sacrifice to Yogg-Sothoth. Yeah. Which I guess makes sense if you've if you've done well and only one person's been sacrificed, you get four clues on the powder of Ibn Ghazi. If you've done badly and four people have been sacrificed, you only get one clue on the powder of Ibn Ghazi. But you're only going to be facing two broods. Yeah. But you think you think about this in terms of what you need to do. If if you mm-hmm. get if you get four clues and yep. you don't get any other ones, you can put one on each brood. Mm-hmm. So that means you have to pass its uh, one eye plus one per brood. So that's mm-hmm. five eye plus five. Difficulty yeah. four or six willpower tests. Yeah, and that's that's potentially a lot. If 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 we're at four players, yeah, that's twenty five difficulty four or six willpower tests we have to pass. There's a stat for you. That's something to track. How many other scenarios ask you to do that many difficulty six tests? Very few. Yeah, yeah. Even if you're just, what's that, divided by three, that's eight turns, one in nine turns worth mm. of just blasting broods. Yeah. That's not, that's not easy. <laughs> yeah, nine turns is half the scenario. So that, again, it's a, not a scenario with specific time pressure, but if you're just too slow at getting going blasting you might simply not have enough time to chew through. And we're obviously not countering, uh, factoring in here Towering Beasts as well, where you might suddenly get an extra health and an extra fight on a brood. Or indeed, adding in as well, Altered Beast, where imagine you've done four of the five damage and then you pull Altered Beast and there's only a brood in place so it's suddenly healed. Yeah, 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 that's brutal. <laughs> Absolutely ghastly, yeah. And same with an imperceptible creature. Removing a clue is the equivalent of removing a plus two willpower on the broods, which can be really, really mean. Yeah. Yeah, the the clue thing is really fascinating to me revisiting it. I think one approach in terms of scenario tech for this scenario is I like to, if I can scout what options I have in terms of clue placing because there are so many different versions and then at least I have a sense particularly ones where it's like the investigators need to be at the location as a group and maybe ones where everyone needs to be able to place a clue that knowing that that exists is so important because then when it comes to spending clues to advance the act you know we're like well okay 
you're the fighter, that clue was really hard one for you, don't spend it. And the person who's the seeker or the clue, clue finder can actually then spend their clues. Other thing to note, the two eye clues you need at the Waitley Ruins to advance, each version of Waitley Ruins has two eye clues. Right. So another like little bit of tech here is if the way to Waitley Ruins is clear, in theory, you could just head to Waitley Ruins and just get the clues there and you'd be able to advance. You don't need to have gone anywhere else or got any other clues. The downside is Waitley Ruins always gives you minus one willpower. And as we've seen, as we've looked at this, that's not just bad for fighting broods. It's also that the encounter deck is going to test your willpower. So it's a really bad place to stand because you're going to get hit by rotting remains, eager for death, maybe a frozen in fear that it's going to be harder to clear. You don't want to be hanging around there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Again, in terms of like juvenile design, it's really fascinating to me that the shroud values across these different locations vary. Uh, There's no location that has the same shroud based on the two versions. And the clue values across the the different locations vary as well. Hmm. So Dunwich Village has a three shroud one clue or a two shroud three clue. And Tenacre Meadow is the same, a three and one or a two and three. And they're the two locations that are en route to Waitley Ruins. So in theory, if you've pulled the first version of each, you've got a more difficult shroud and there's only one clue to get. It's not one eye, it's just one. And then you move to Ten Acre Meadow and similarly it's three shroud and one clue. And I know why it's doing that because those are the versions that also have abilities to add clues. Is that right? I think it must be that Dunwich Village, the two shroud three clue version because it doesn't have a version to add clues it's just giving you more clues to get kind of doesn't make sense right you'd think they would have the same clues that allow you to place as part of the location but maybe not anyway the point i really wanted to make was it's fascinating to me that it seems so variable yes i absolutely agree yeah 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 so we've got we've gathered all of this information now peter we've got all of we've gone into all of this detail does this bring us any closer to knowing how we defeat this scenario? So it seems to me that I, I guess we haven't talked about some ways of of tricking or some some kind of silver bullet type cards that you mm-hmm. could bring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You could do that with there is some cards that can increase the damage when you fight. Oh well yeah. The so, mask like, from Carnival, right? Bouter. Yeah. No, that allows you to use combat instead of uh, willpower. Yeah. Yeah, so I, d- I don't think there's that many. Like, you can't obviously can't commit a vicious blow to the test unless you do some other trickery, say, using Empower Self or something like that. <laughs> Whoa, uh, but okay, yeah. Z- Zoe could do some stuff with things like Blessing of Isis. And pulling her... Pulling her Elder Sign, sign ability... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, bless might be nice in general, just for the extra stat boost, really, to hit those high difficulties. Mm-hmm. Also, the, the the one that was talked about a lot of the time was using Mind Wipe on the Broods. Yeah, because your goal is to have no copies in play or set aside to advance, you can Mind Wipe a Brood, kill it with anything. It only yeah. It goes down to one health because it loses the one eye additional health and then it gets discarded because it also loses the victory point yeah so yeah trade a victory point for an easy kill yeah if that's if that's what you're into (laughs) yeah (laughs) i think the other thing you mentioned earlier alter fate 
There's some yes. really good alter-fate targets. Towering Beasts to get rid of the health and fight boost seems really good. And getting rid of Altered Beast as well seems yeah. like a really a really useful thing, as well as other targets like Sorted and Silent that attach to locations in play. So just being able to snipe some of those yeah. and deal with them after they've been drawn rather than cancelling them out of the encounter deck seems really nice. Yeah, being able to evade the broods I think is nice as well. Either some yes. auto-evade tools or a good evading character. I yes. think horror, any horror soak or healing is good as well. You've mentioned logical reasoning a couple of times. Yeah. And that's that's a really good pick here. It's two willpower icons as well as being mm. defense mm. against terrors. Is it terrors yes, it defends against? Yeah. And yeah. also just horror healing. Yeah. So that yeah. can be good. I think the biggest thing is being able to attack and kill the broods. So as many characters as you can who are able to realistically attack and hit the broods. Mm -hmm. If you can spread that load around the team, I think you're in a much stronger position. You need to yes. almost be like a kind of a, a willpower delivery system for your, for the, the, the high willpower character in your team. Yes. Yeah. Or someone who's able to pump a stat to a high level, yeah. however they do it. You just carry that character to the broods and let them machine gun mm. it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It might also be like, this is then zooming out even further, it's that evaluation of, right, how high can my willpower go in this team? How many willpower icons do I even have? Yeah. Is it realistic for me to pass any of the tests or are all of my icons about exactly as you say empowering that one character or empowering two characters because it's such a shame if you're playing and you're seeing someone who's willpower two or three being like yeah i could get to six for one test it's like those icons would be much better spent by someone who's already at five willpower getting to seven or eight plus the clue gets you up to ten and so mm -hmm. on and so forth yeah we haven't actually as well touched on the scenario reference card no There's we haven't actually Cultist is reveal another token if you fail, take a horror. <laughs> yeah. Tablet is zero. Either remove all clues from a brood or nope. it's a minus four. <laughs> take Elder the minus thing four. Is, <laughs> yeah, Elder Thing is minus three. If it's revealed during an attack or evasion against a brood, it immediately attacks you. Oh, that's brutal. And that's not if you fail. That's just on easy standard. Obviously, it gets harder on hard expert. But yeah, you could be at this point and have very few of Tablet and Elder things in the bag. Yeah. But it's still worth being aware that the, the reason I'm thinking of that is thinking about those attacks where you're like, oh yeah, I'm four over. And if you're like, oh yeah, I'm three over. And then you draw a tablet and you're like, oh, we can't remove these three clues from this brood. So yeah. yeah. Why do you think this has a reputation for being the worst scenario in the game? And do you agree with that reputation? Well, famously, I remember first playing this on my face chat campaign. I think both of the first times I played through Dunwich, I had a really good time playing this scenario for whatever reason. Mm. Just it was re really, really good fun. But I think subsequently I do understand the difficulty of it and the variance of it. So it can be frustrating. You need to be quite in sync as a team to yeah. be able to do it. And I think what I was going to say earlier when you were talking about the, the kind of immaturity of the design, it's not very flexible in terms of how you can approach it. Yes. Yeah. It wants you to play it the way it says you need to play it. Mm -hmm. doesn't allow for much. Like the broods not being able to be damaged except by using esoteric formula is a yeah. real classic example of 
this is the only way you can do it and it's frustrating for anyone who's built their decks in a different way mm. to do something mm-hmm. else. If someone's built their deck to deal direct damage to enemies or to trick tests or to use particular weapons, you're like, oh, it's a scenario where I've got to fight lots of big enemies. Yes, excellent. That's why I brought my um, time-worn brand to kill big enemies. Yeah. Oh, no, I can't use those. Yeah. Can't use any of those. All of my tricks for fighting big enemies have been rendered null and void. It's maybe a, a sign of being early in the cycle when those kind of tools and tricks were not envisioned by the designers. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. Yeah. Interesting to compare it to what we both said we love about Concealed. It's, 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 it's exactly the opposite. Rather than them being one way of engaging yeah. with the main threat... Yeah. You've got a multitude of ways that different investigators can can approach how they want to. Mm-hmm. Not to say it's less challenging; like it can be concealed, can be difficult. There can be a lot of tests to do. There can be high value tests, exactly yeah. the same as this. But mm-hmm. you have the option to build to build more around it, or you have it, multiple it, vectors of approach. Yeah, yeah, or just multiple approaches. I don't need to be so pretentious using a word I don't understand. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I was thinking as well as you were saying that, like, my memory of Dunwich is that it's very uneven. Mm. And I don't feel like, and I could be wrong about this, but I don't feel like that the previous five scenarios specifically signpost to you that you're going to have a hurdle like this in exactly the same way that I know some people found where Doom awaits and just needing straight investigate to get up the hill. Yeah. Also similarly abrupt and a bump. Because there's just, there's no flexibility there. There's no way of dealing with that. And the same for this, I think. If you arrive and you have a team who can handle it, you're like, yeah, this is great. We're taking down these broods. I think it feels really rewarding. That teamwork, again, it's one of those things where what you're doing as a player, planning and reading the landscape is exactly what your investigator's doing. If you can't do it, it just feels monstrous. It feels so overwhelming. So, yeah, I can see how it can lead to a lot of disappointment as well i suppose i think funnily enough when i face checked this or certainly an early play was a rex and jenny two-player playthrough and rex had just bought higher ed because it came out in blood on the altar yeah 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 and was just like well this is easy yeah (laughs) you know two resources gets you to seven on six before you've dropped any clues on them i think i was in the exact same position i think i bought that as rex and yeah, you just you just gotta have the money. Yeah, you're like, okay, well, it's three resources every time I attack it, but then I mm-hmm. absolutely smash the test. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I can't help but think that colours people's experience of this if they've been working their way through the campaign when it first came out. I wonder if it's also like the thematically the vibe is these are very hard to find and fight. They're invisible creatures, so yes, you want it to be difficult for players. But that translates mechanically to you can only use this card and it's awkward and that shuts out a lot of investigators. That's a shame in a way because I think the thematic promise of it is really exciting. Race around this map trying to find an enemy you can't see that moves unpredictably. It's just that then the actual detail of how you deal with it is somewhat limited. That to me is why I enjoy it as a challenging scenario and why I wanted to look at it because it has that specific wrinkle to it. That's not a reason to, for, as far as I'm concerned, that invalidates the playing of it. Yeah. So, anything else you want to add? I think we've come, gone longer than I thought we would. We've gone through a lot of detail here. Yes, I think we have, yeah. 
I don't think there's anything else to add. I guess keen for feedback on things we, we could have covered and didn't in this episode, things people enjoyed mm-hmm. when we talked about the scenario. Appreciate, like, we can't be super exhaustive in the slot we've got, no. so there might be no. some real top tech that we've missed. And I'm sure there's someone saying, oh, why didn't you mention this car? That trivialises the whole scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. We could have missed that. We'll probably miss cars like that in the future. What we're trying to do is give a general overview of how to approach it. And I'm just kind of preemptively cutting off any criticism we might receive. <laughs> we want feedback, but we <laughs> but don't no, want not, criticism. We don't want to be told we're wrong. <laughs> no, I, I Couch all of your feedback as how good we were, but also, yeah. <laughs> I think it was really interesting looking, spreading out the encounter deck and looking at it in the detail we did. I think that was enlightening yes. and interesting. I think also this is obviously groundwork for if we do episodes like this again. You know, in detail, like a third of the, the cards come from the scenario. Does does that actually mean anything? No, not at the moment. It's only when we compare that to other scenarios where we can start to say, oh, okay, yeah, it actually is significant for because it's significantly low or significantly high, so on and so forth. Yeah. And it is. I think it is an odd scenario because I think the, I would assume the enemy count is low. It's only seven enemies in a 33-card deck, but yeah. that's because you could have five <laughs> other enemies rampaging around. Okay. Well, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. You can get in touch with us. We're drawn to the flame podcast at gmail.com. We're drawn to the flame on Facebook, Twitter, Designed by Humans, and Patreon. Thank you to all our patrons. And if you are a patron, you get to come and talk to us on our wonderful Discord channel. Peter, how can people get in touch with you? I'm in Lytled everywhere. That's U N I T L E D. I'm on Twitter and Discord and Reddit and loads of places. I'm also on Instagram as the.unitled. So please say hello. How about you? I'm on Twitter as FB, that's EPH underscore BEE, and then I'm around the place as Zooey Glass and Zozo. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. One of them came back after all. It was David Haldrup, the elder, and his straw-coloured hair and beard had turned an albino white for two inches from the roots. On his forehead was a queer scar, like a branded hieroglyph. At the autopsy it was found that all of young Tim Mason's organs were transposed from right to left within his body, as if he'd been turned inside out. Whether they'd always been so, no one could say at the time but it was later learned from army records that Mason had been perfectly normal when mustered out of service in May 1919. That's very creepy, isn't it? Yeah. So there's a Hitman level where the person you're killing is having a heart operation at this fancy hospital in Japan. Mm. But he's got situs invertus, which is his heart is inverted. And he's had to wait for another person with situs inverters to die so that they can take the heart from that person and put them into him and you can assassinate him by destroying the heart once he's on the operating table (laughs) you just like it's in like this vault in the morgue underneath the hospital you just pick it up and then just like chuck it in the bin (laughs) it's so funny (laughs) 